Welcome to the Thought Podcast. Today, a podcast host, a pastor, and a mental health nurse turned theologian walk into a bar, and the host asks, how do people with intellectual disabilities or mental health problems experience God? As usual, it's not actually a bar, and this month we have returned to our homely kitchen studio, once more with beer and good company, so it will do just fine. Welcome to the Thought Bar. I'm afraid you'll have to buy your own drink. Hello and welcome to the bar. My name's Louise. I'll be hosting the podcast today. As usual, I'm joined by Andy Wadhams, pastor of Gallery Church in Birmingham. Hello. It's an honour to be here. Privilege. Thank you for tuning in, people. I love how you're still always so honoured, even on like episode seven. I am. I'm aware at any point I can see one of these released, a podcast release, and I was nothing to do with it. And I, They've replaced the pastor with a proper <laughs> one, a good one. Right. So uh, yeah, it's always an honour. Oh, bless you. <laughs> We've also got an exciting guest today. We're joined by Reverend Professor John Swinton. Hello, John. Hello. Good day. Thank you for the invitation. And we're so privileged to have had some of the guests that we've had, but I think this is the first kind of real foray we've had into celebrity connections. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Truly celebrity connections, because you are chaplain to the king. I am chaplain to the king. Formerly chaplain to the queen. Yeah. Very cool. Very, Very exciting. So normally at this stage we would do a bit more background, get to know you a bit, and we will do that. But kind of want to save that for getting into your subject as well. We'll be talking about mental health and intellectual disabilities and your background is some of the reasons you ask those questions. So I've replaced this section oh. with quick fire questions. Right. So we're going to do Groovy. a quick fire yeah. question yeah. intro. Yeah. Yeah, if I was so, just a listener now, I'd go, oh, yeah, good move. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But not in your current position, only if you were just well, a listener. As, as I am now, I'm thinking, mm, will this work? Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm sure right. it will. <laughs> well, as a guest, I can't wait. Exactly. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> so let's do it. Question one, what's your name and where do you come from? My name is John Swinton and I come from uh, Aberdeen in Scotland. Excellent, we're easing you in gently. Who's your favourite Smurf? Oh, the little <laughs> blue one. The little, the little oh, blue one. That cool. one, yes. The specific, yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. What toothpaste do you use? Oh, I never used toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's controversial, that one. Okay. Colgate before you. Colgate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, preferred Bible translation? Uh, oh, I like two. two. The, the New Living Translation and NIV. Classics. Oh, wow. Classics. That's a great question. I, had to I be might serious have to be a guest point. on the podcast one day. <laughs> uh, question five Dinosaurs or mermaids? Oh, dinosaurs. Excellent, excellent. And uh, what's the story of your favourite pen? Uh, once upon a time, I had a pen that leaked, I threw it in the bin. That was the favourite? Yep. The other pens I'm, have traumatised you I'm more no than mercy. that one. No pen's ever done it again. <laughs> Excellent. See, Alex, Fer <laughs> Alex Ferguson of pens. <laughs> <Set a> standard. Exactly. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, I feel like we know you. I feel like we've really uh, got into the text of who you are. <laughs> well, thanks for coming and thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> it's been a great pleasure. Thank <laughs> And now, time for a game. Today we're playing Is It Joyful? I have three items. Oh, yes. And, John, I'd like you to 
argue why these items are inherently joy-filled. Joy-filled? Yes. All right. They're, all these items are wonderful. You'll have 30 seconds to make that argument. Okay. For all three? Uh, no, no, 30 seconds each. Oh, each. 30 seconds Very each. Good. Andy <laughs> will be arguing in, for 30 seconds why each item Great. is absolutely terrible and joy-sapping. Great, because I'm naturally a half glass half empty person. I just this, thought I'd give you a challenge. So easy for me, this. <laughs> Where's my glass? No one gave me a glass. <laughs> That'll be me. Okay, so we got the item. We got just. Got, uh, yep. What's the opposite of joy filled? Joy sapping. Joyless. Joy sapping. Miserable. 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 Yeah. Okay. Here we go. You're feeling prepared. No, not at all. And Good. Uh, ready excellent. To... We'll be starting yeah. with you. Uh, <laughs> what do they? What do the cool kids say now? I'm going to take another L on this. I think, which means loss. Oh, I. Just... Yeah, I'm going to take another L. I fear. Mm. Thank you for educating me. I'm here, guys. I'm keeping it relevant. Forty <laughs> something years of age. <laughs> All right, you ready for item number one? No, here we go. <laughs> item number one is right. a ball pool. Go. A ball pool. A ball pool is going first. Or I don't know who's starting. <laughs> well, we can swap, but I was going to be Andy. Oh, no, go okay. Andy, go first. Oh, I was like, please do. <laughs> so, <laughs> bad news, good news, bad news, good news. I'll do, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go first. Here we go. I'll give you more okay. time to think and respond. <laughs> exactly. And Go. Okay, a ball pool or a ball pit, as they are also known, and that says a lot. Pit, the pit, the pits is not a positive phrase. Now, they, are, they can be seen as fun, but like Proverbs talks about, it's fun at first, but afterwards it's misery. And it is a joyless thing, especially when a parent has to go in and capture and get one of their children from the ball pit, because what we don't see from the outside is the dirt, grime and disgusting stuff from the joyless ball pit. <laughs> That's fantastic. Beautiful. He tried. Uh, you, you do misery really well. Okay. <laughs> you know what? It's been said. Incredibly cheerfully. It's, uh, right. it's a confusing situation. Mm. <laughs> right, John, I need 30 seconds on why ball pools are joy-filled. Come on, John. Ball, Off you go. Ball pools are joy-filled because as soon as you jump into a ball pool, you weigh nothing. So no matter how heavy you may think you are before, once you're in that ball pool, you're moving around. It's like you've lost several stones instantly. Uh, they're also very joyful because they're multicoloured and because they represent a, a multicoloured, multi-faith, multicultural. They're, so they're very politically correct. <laughs> and, and finally, joy pools are great because right at the bottom, there's lots of hair and nails. <laughs> how are you going to finish that one? <laughs> I couldn't find out how that was great. I think you had won. <laughs> <laughs> Until <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly quite agree. <laughs> Where do, we, I mean, how, do we get to hear the rest of that? No. It's fine, no. Not, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's brilliant. Yes, I mean, I, I was going on, the diversity argument is an automatic Strong, win, but then yeah. we found we found hair in the bottom well, of the joy-filled ball pool and mm, I was just not sure anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to award Andy that point. That's outrageous. <laughs> just it's tremendous, that. isn't it? I like that about the weight thing. That was very clever. Oh, that would clever. have connected with a lot of people. Yeah. Right. Mm. Item number two. We're going to go to John first just to mix okay. it up. Oh, all right, all right. So this is still joy-filled. We're just okay. giving, making it a little bit fairer on who's got the thinking time. Your item is a roof tile. Go. A roof tile is very joyful because if you're small enough, you can actually use it as a sledge in the winter time and slide <laughs> down the, uh, the, the, the uh, roof. And if you're lucky, you'll, you'll land on a snowman. And when it lands on that snowman, the tile will enter its body, 
right through its body and you will sail over it and back onto the tile and continue your journey <laughs> onto whatever it is that you're going to. So tiles are, tiles are good, tiles are good. Excellent. <laughs> that is brilliant. Joyful for Smurfs. <laughs> that was wild. Whilst you're out murdering snowmen though, but you know... <laughs> <laughs> I reckon we could do this again and switch, switch the people. We might get some quite bleak cancers. That's brilliant. Well, okay. we're about to find out Ooh, from you all right, why roof go. tiles are joy sapping. Off you go. Okay. <clears throat> well, if I had the chat, if I had a moment of research, I might be able to verify the fact I'm about to say, which I've got from Facebook and the Sun. So it's got to be true: is that people are killed by roof tiles. Around about 42 million a year. It's something like that. It's a number of people are killed. And the reason they're joyless is because they sit there waiting year after year. The silent killer waiting to strike the joyless roof tile. That's quite terrifying. Oh, it was. Several million people killed. Yeah. It could be. Again, I've not, you know. Yeah, just, just no time to verify. Yeah. No. Excellent. Well, I am really buying the uh, Joyful Smurfs, so that point's going to John. Yes, yes. tapped in there. <laughs> right. Although, it comes down to the decider. Although a moment for the, the silent killer. Oh, yeah, true. As we walk the pavements of the United Kingdom, just be aware. Anyway, yeah. sorry. A roof tile could get you at any moment. No, no, we don't have roof tiles in Scotland, so it's <laughs> a major problem for me. What are your roofs made of? No, thatched, of course. All of them. They're all thatched. <laughs> Even the high-rise flats are thatched. I love that term, that phrase, someone's doing well. You know, something posh. In Scotland, someone's got a roof tile. Oh, someone's doing well. You had a promotion. Ooh, fancy. That's not true. That's not my view of Scotland. I'm just building on John's yeah. joke. <laughs> my oh, safe. Yeah, ooh, kind of. <laughs> all right. right. Item number three, the decider, starting oh. with Andy. Okay on why this is joy sapping why specifically nail clippers are joy sapping off you go uh, <laughs> i've never been speechless before <laughs> we're so close to being speechless the joylessness of nail clipping i have got nothing come on andy scissors they're taking away from scissors that doesn't work Oh gosh, I've got nothing. This is a first time ever. Sub me off. I'm out. I've Absolutely got nothing. Blank. No. Oh, no. Why? What? No. That's it. Error. Put you out of your misery with that whistle. If you don't win this one. <laughs> did you? Could you? Did you have anything? Uh, I was too busy thinking about something else. Yeah. No. You were strategizing. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. yeah great for the win. <laughs> I was warming up. All right. The joy. John, of nail clippers, please. Nail clippers are joyful because they're creative. They allow you to take a tiny little piece of nail and shape it into whatever way you want. And once you've shaped it into whatever you want it to be, you can use it for all sorts of things. You can scratch your ear, you can pick your nose, you can reach behind and scratch your back. And if you actually grow it long enough, you can scratch the bottom of your back from the top of your back. And so nail clippers are very interesting and creative things, and I'm glad that they have been invented. <laughs> Some of the mental images there. I know. <laughs> Only by default have you got this one. That, that was great. I think some people have spat out their tea, I'm sure. 
Brilliant. All the experiments later on with nail clippers going, oh, how do you turn it? How do you do that one? Yes, that, that professor I was listening to said I could... Um... <laughs> well, congratulations on your 2-1 win, John. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Do yeah. I get a prize? You do. I've got a beer for you if you'd like it. I'd rather have some nail clippers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It's a subscription we to Nail Clipper that. Weekly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not easy to get. But they have some really creative ideas for what you can do with nail clippers. Yeah. Didn't realise he was a writer for them, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Walked into that one. <laughs> okay. Right, John, earlier we said we were going to skip over your story so we could get into it later. Now is that time. Mm. So can you take us through a bit of your personal story? And um, yeah, I think in your most recent book, which is coincidentally the thinnest one and also the one I've read because <laughs> I um, was lacking a little bit of time, as fascinating well, as it was. Understand. I'm very sorry. Um, but I did love it. And I think you started from school age in that book, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Can you um, talk us through a really brief version of that and how, a brief version of that. how it took you to where you are? Well, one way that you could begin to think about that is uh, what's the nature of vocation, right? So when I left school, uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I became a scientist for a while, um, but then I couldn't do that because I can't do statistics, amongst other things. Uh, and then I became a van driver, which was great. I really like van driving because you just drive around the northeast of Scotland. It's beautiful, sunny, or it's, it's, it's snowy, or whatever it is. It's great. But I couldn't do that forever. Well, I could have done it forever, but I just said I wouldn't. Mm. So I thought, what's my vocation? And uh, uh, one of my friends decided he was going to be a mental health nurse. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be a mental health nurse. Just like that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just copy that. <laughs> this is kind of the story of my life. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, that's, that was, that's nice. One of my friends <laughs> said he was going to be a professional footballer. So I became a professional footballer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's shiny. I have that. <laughs> the, uh, and so I became a nurse. Um, mm. And I really enjoyed that. So I worked in mental health nursing for a number of years. And then I retrained uh, in intellectual disability. And so I, I nursed in total for about 16 years. And then at the end of that time, I decided I, I'd, I'd done everything I wanted to do in, in relation to nursing. So I, uh, th- I felt a calling to theology, put it that mm. way. Well, I actually thought I had a, a comment calling to chaplaincy. So, yeah. uh, and I did work in chaplaincy for a little while. Um, but I left nursing, enjoyed that, went to university, uh, and as soon as I went to university, I knew that I wanted to teach practical theology for no particular reason. Because mm. the, fir- the first lecture I ever had in practical theology was basically don't throw stones at coffins because it upsets uh, relatives. In other <laughs> words, uh, when you're at the graveside, yeah. make sure there's no stones in the earth when you throw it in because it rattles. Oh, right, not the, like, they're already dead, there's no need to throw stones at them to make sure. No, kind of. uh, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine a big clunk, though, could really ruin the moment. It does. That's yeah. a good bit of practical... Exactly. Yeah. Practical. So okay. that, practical theology was a handy household hints for ministers, basically. Very good. Um, but for some reason, I just realised that uh, I didn't really fancy that, but mm. I realised that was my space in life. Like. And so, uh, uh, so I did that, and then uh, I, worked, I got a job down in Glasgow, where I was there for a year, and I came back to Aberdeen, where I've been since 1997. So my point about vocation, of course, is that sometimes we think that vocation is just you have one road that God wants to take you and you just take that. And if you miss it, then nothing can happen. Mm. My experience is that vocation is 
where you are at different points in your life, God has different things to do with you and for you. Mm. And so when you're, you know, for me, when I was a nurse, that was my vocation. When I became a theologian, that was my vocation. And all these things kind of hold together. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, when I'm a father, that's my vo- a vocation. And when, am I, when I'm, I'm in my work, my work is my vocation. So vocation is really to do with um, participating in God's neighborly love, whatever God chooses to put you. And that's mm. something I've learned over the years through my various vocations and various professional movements. So that's... At least at one level, that's my my story. That's beautifully put. Should we stop there? That's I feel like really good. we've we've just hit a really good point. Um, but you do have more to say and more ideas for us, I think. Maybe so, not. Um, yeah, you've just set the bar high for yourself. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it was very good. <laughs> could you help? Um, could you help a lot out like me out? We've said um, intellectual disability. Right. I've never heard that phrase before. I think I might know what it means, but what what, what are we saying with that? What's what's that phrase? Well. That's a good question, and it's a complicated question. Right. When I did my nursing training, I ended up with a qualification for working with people with who are mentally defective. Right. Then the term changed to mental handicap. Then the term changed to learning disability. And now it's in the process of changing to intellectual disability. Right, okay. Which tells you something about language. Yeah. You know, the way that people think about uh, particular groups of people at certain points in history determines how they name them mm. and how they name them determines how you respond to them. Mm. You know, if, you're, if you think about it, if you are working with somebody who you think is defective, yeah. then how are you going to respond to that? Yeah, exactly. Or handicapped. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How are you to, so these, that language is important. Mm. And it just tells you the way that society changes over time. Now, it could easily change back yeah. again. Like, So the way you name things is important. Is that... Um, so what that does show is, is okay, we're still working this out, you know, as we're going along. We're still working out what every condition is and could possibly be. I've got a, a friend who has got ADHD and he's changed it instead of deficit, it's an asset. Right. So, he, you know, attention and hyperactivity asset or something. He switched it around like that. Because it is, because he's really made it work for him. He's able to do that because... Uh, you can, but I think that's really interesting. So neurodiversity, is this in the same bracket? Is that a different? Neurodiversity would be, be something slightly different. So sure. people who live with autism would, would frame it not necessarily as a problem, yeah. but as a, a diverse configuration of the neurology. So therefore, yeah. the idea of normality is, is changed because you yeah. assume that you know, normality is this one thing here, but in fact, it's a, it's a whole diversity of that. But the issue of intellectual disability and calling it that does raise a really important point. Um, why does that matter? Mm. You know, if you were in a, in a, in a, in a society where that really valued community and friendship and love rather than intellect and reason and, and competitiveness as we do, mm. then you'd have no need for a term like intellectual disability because it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's also interesting that intellectual disability always, always only works one way, right? So if you have a low IQ, you're intellectually disabled. But if you have a high IQ, you're a genius. Sure, yeah. So we're living in a society that values the wrong things. Sure. Wow. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, well, thanks for helping me out with that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think some listeners as well, but I mean, you two knew all that, obviously. <laughs> but um, actually, so, I mean, we've talked a lot about the concept of intellectual disability, but could you give us some examples of the sorts of things that, that mm. would be included under that heading? Yeah, well, people who live with Down syndrome would be, there right. are people who have congenital uh, uh, 
brain damage, that is brain damage at birth. Mm-hmm. That means that they don't necessarily develop in the way that many other people do. So, right. that, 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 so that gives us a picture of who we're thinking yes. of. Yes, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fabulous. Okay, we've done intellectual disability, we've done the story of your calling and how it's diverse and, and every little bit of... Do it, does that give us the kind of grand title of being a vocation like for half an hour or something yes this is our vocation right now exactly yes we're in the space god use us it's your calling (laughs) fantastic (laughs) so how all of this fits together then your nursing experience of um intellectual disabilities and mental Mm. health nursing has provided a lot of the inspiration for the kinds of questions you now ask as a theologian Mm. can you outline that link for us yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is my, uh, my time in nursing uh, and also in, in, in chaplains, because I was in mental health chaplain for a little while, is my place of formation. So it's shaped and formed me to see the world in a particular way in conversation with people who see the world slightly differently from the way that other people see it. Um, mm-hmm. Which means that when I come into academia, I bring with me a different set of questions, right? So mm. in an academic, think about the way in which theology is created. It's usually in universities or seminaries mm. where people sit in their offices and read yeah. the tradition, read scripture and, and think through how we understand God. Nothing wrong with that at all. Mm. But there's a whole range of questions that are never asked. Like, So, for example, uh, if you think about somebody who lives with dementia, what does it mean to love Jesus? when you've forgotten who Jesus is. That's a brilliant question. So it's like, it's not, like, these are not normal questions that you ask, mm. mm-hmm. but these are obvious questions to me because yeah. that's, that's sure, where yeah. we have been formed to, to see and look at, ultimately look at theology. So the connection between my formation and now my, my new vocation uh, uh, is, I couldn't do one without the other. Yeah. I love this kind of idea of what are people actually experiencing and let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, presumably you've come across the criticism before that you know you should start from the bible and and not from subjective experience and um, mm-hmm. kind of doing that the slightly the other way around bringing it in in a different way um might be a little bit controversial to some people what's your response to that idea no it's all to do with the bible i mean the, the way you understand the bible uh, is to do with the way that you uh, the questions you ask mm. you know, when you're reading the gospels you don't just see it read it in the same way as you might read a a mathematics book and just have a series of equations that you learn. Mm-hmm. You're, for, you're asking questions all the time. Like, what does Jesus mean by that? What, what does Paul mean when he means when he says this? Mm-hmm. So you're bringing questions to, to Scripture all the time. So Scripture is obviously fundamental. That's, that's never in question. But the questions that we bring to Scripture do determine the way that we read it and the way we understand things. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's any tension between uh, asking questions of Scripture from a slightly different angle. Mm. Uh, I don't think that threatens our, the, the primacy of Scripture at all. It helps, in fact, it embellishes, it helps us really to understand what God is saying through through the Bible. Mm. Now, I might add, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's, a, there's a, a richness to the Scriptures that when we just say, oh, don't, don't question, don't, you know, is completely robbed. Um, and there has to be a richness to the scriptures because they're for the world. And we have so many different viewpoints, start points, yeah. biases. And the, 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 the Bible speaks to all of us, all of us children here on earth. So there's a complete richness. And so it's always a bit of an alarm bell, isn't it? You start with the Bible. Uh, not all of them American, but you know what I mean. You know, and, um, I thought that was Russian. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. They, you know what? They've not called me back at the voice acting place. <laughs> Maybe that's why. But I've just realised what's going on. 
But yeah, there's a, such a richness and, and a, a capacity in God that's beyond our. So I always believe when people well, shallow it down. I, I agree with you. And I mean, if you think about the way that Paul describes the body of Christ, mm. it doesn't say the body of Christ means that there's a group of people that are all exactly the same. That's right. It's quite the opposite. It's a group of people who are very, very different. Mm. And he says that you can't understand one without the other. You know, you can't understand the hand without understanding the hair, without understanding the foot. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. when you're talking about the way in which we read Scripture together, then all of our experiences is important for the way that we interpret it, the way in which we act upon it. Like, so yeah. I think... I think the Bible itself says, you know, look around at the, the nature of the body of Christ and act accordingly. Got to be. Got to be. Amazing. So I think I understood uh, in your book that your approach involves going and talking to people. Perish <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the thought, but that's true. <laughs> no, don't. That's dangerous. <laughs> don't do that. No. So can you talk us through that process? If you have a question, how do you... So say the question mm. of what is a dementia uh, patient's experience of, of God, yeah, which you yeah. brought up earlier, God's love. How do you how do you start approaching that question? Well, that question I, I would approach by asking people. Yeah. You know, so uh, people... You know, the best people to tell you how they experience God is the people themselves. So you can wow. speculate all you want. Go and ask somebody. But that last project I worked on was uh, looking at the way in which Christians uh, experience their faith in the midst of severe mental health uh, challenges. Mm. So people that with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, depression. And asking the question, putting to one side the, the, the assumptions about what a diagnosis is, yeah. and just listening to people's stories. And when you listen to people's stories, it's absolutely fascinating. And you can see that even in the midst of really difficult situations of depression or psychosis, people have a very active spiritual life if you just listen in the proper way. And wow. the temptation sometimes is to say, well, it's just their illness or it's just their mm. this, whatever it is. But actually getting into that, you begin to learn some fascinating things about the way that God functions in the midst of, of complex and difficult experiences. But that only happens if you ask them. For sure. So do you have any examples of the sorts of things you found out doing that? Yeah, take something like um, take something like the experience of disconnection that you get, or some people get when they're uh, going through depression, right? So you feel that you, you can't get to God in that sense, like, mm, right? Yeah. Uh, now, the way that some Christians respond to that is say, well, you've got to pray harder, or you've, you've got to read your Bible better, or you've done something wrong, um, as if it's their own person's own fault. And this, 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 this is, this is a, a, a situation that's alien from the way sure. that we should understand. Uh, and the problem is very often people assume that faith equals happiness. Very like, good. Clearly yeah. faith doesn't yeah. equal happiness. But then when you turn to, you know, Isaiah talks about God hiding, but you turn to the book of Lamentations, or, or, or the, the, the Psalms lament in the Psalms, mm. and you see something different. Mm. People are always feeling mm. angry and disconnected and, and frustrated. Mm. And even in, you know, Psalm 88 ends, darkness is my only companion. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a prayer. Like, so it's, it's, it's this deep sense of disconnection. And then, you, you know, Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not like you get an answer. It's just that sense of, even for Jesus, there's a sense of disconnection. So what you discover very quickly is that that experience is mirrored in the scriptures. There's a spirituality that really speaks to that disconnection. And even though you can't necessarily find your way to God at that moment in time, 
you can identify with Jesus, who at that moment in time felt that sense of the world's uh, pressure, sinners coming down, and, and felt alienated. So, mm. you know, you don't have to be fixed in order to to uh, experience God and experience healing and that's that, that kind of, I don't mean healing as you get rid of things, mm. experience, experience release. And what you have to do is look at the tradition and, and, and take seriously what Scripture says about these kinds of experiences right. rather than speculate and think, well, it must have been that person's fault. Yeah, yeah. And so when you begin to listen to people, it's, it raises questions, which then when you look yeah. at the tradition, you begin to say, oh, maybe we've forgotten certain things. Maybe we should be thinking, mm. uh, you know, reading the Psalms again and taking them seriously. I feel like um, <clears throat> what you said, and you, you know, in one sentence, I think is still a massive journey for a lot of people. And it was the idea that um, does, knowing God equals happy all of the time. And I think there's a there's a journey for a lot of people You've got to unpack stuff. And I think that's where you get that. Well, you're you know you're not completely blessed in every area that you sure. want to be. So therefore, we know that being blessed equals happy. So. Yeah. People kind of just do the kind of maths in that realm. And as a pastor, I might even say the majority of people in that place carry some sort of religious guilt um, at, the, at a minimum. And then a lot of people have even had spiritual abuse. It, it goes all the way across, sure. doesn't it? To yeah, yeah. pray this out of you every week until... That's, right. that's true. So, so it's a dangerous spectrum. That, that's why I think this conversation is really, really yeah. good. Um, but yeah, you said it in one sentence, but I think people are still unpacking that in a very real way. Church leaders, movements, no, denominations even. But I mean, if you, if you look at the fruits of the spirit that Paul lays out, mm. he doesn't mention happiness. Very he mentions good. joy, but mm. joy is not happiness. I mean, and it's very clear that scripturally joy includes suffering and brokenness and the cross and all of these things. So... The, the, this, if, if, if happiness is not a gift of the spirit, then it's just something that human beings want. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So it's a, but it's an emotion. It's a feeling that comes and goes, whereas joy has in, yeah. is, it endures yes. in that sense. Yeah, yeah, very good. And of course, uh, sometimes I didn't mean to bid on church there. That's not my vibe. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my vibe. but you that know. would be self-destructive, that was. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But you've got to be real, haven't you? Nehemiah stood before God and said, the generations before me, I apologise for. And there's an element of that. But also, you know, advert after advert says you deserve to be happy. You should be happy. If you're not happy, something's wrong. Buy something, do something, change something. And, of course, that surely leaves a deficit when the human isn't happy 24-7. Yeah. Um, and do you find any or do you find any truth in that? There's this kind of spiral Culturally, is a push for, towards being happy, yeah. yeah. To be being happy and being elated and to be rich and to be powerful. Yeah. To be, there's lots of things that, that, that culture likes us to do. Um, however... No, the scriptures say, "Be gentle, mm. <laughs> be, no, be loving, be, be caring, humble. yeah, be satisfied." Take We're not going to be, be popular, satisfied. but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. no, <laughs> well, it's also no. probably not the aim. <laughs> well, now's a good time to uh, talk about subscription. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, my Porsche won't pay for itself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a Porsche. That's what you say. <laughs> that is great wisdom, though, and I wonder mm. if um, some of this wisdom that you've gleaned. In that area, um, do you have similar kinds of wisdom that go across other um, difficulties that people might have? For example, uh, someone with anxiety or who struggles with catastrophizing things. Mm. Do you have a similar response? Well, I'm a catastrophizer, so okay. <laughs> I don't suffer a lot from anxiety, but I do tend to catastrophize. Uh, 
Well, what I would say is you don't need to feel guilty about these things. They, mm. they, just, they just come and they go, and it's just a way in which your mind processes information. It's not a healthy way. Uh, you know, if you were doing cognitive behavioural therapy, you just point out that um, uh, thoughts don't exist. No, they're not real things like tables or chairs. <laughs> they're just things that, that seems so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they, destroy, they, but they can destroy your life. So, so but get the, get the perspective right and recognise that these are not real things, uh, and that you do have control over them. Um, but also be careful how you how you uh, if you're an anxious person how you read scripture, for example. So if Paul says, "Don't be anxious," he doesn't really mean never feel anxiety. Mm. He means just trust God. You know, because we can we can get through this, and you you don't have to be anxious about it. Um, but if you're a really anxious person, and you read a passage like that, you think, "Oh, I've done something wrong." That's I'm right. now anxious about being anxious. <laughs> Am I being anxious? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so these things, but yeah, I think that just that main thing, recognizing that that's how you think. It's not a good thing, and you can do something about it. Mm. That's so insightful. Yeah. Super. Is it okay to go back to um, dementia? Because I know I was having a few conversations knowing that you were um, coming to visit us and it was something that came up a few times um, and it's something that I have experience with as well, you know, a family member with dementia and mm. how do you how do you approach talking to them? Um, so I have a question from a friend. So this person's grandparent had never been a Christian and had advancing dementia. The person was able to pray with them the grandparent loved the experience and described a deep sense of peace. And then this person explained, you know, oh, you can do this yourself. And this was really well received. Mm. But they find it upsetting to think that their grandparent might lose memory of that conversation and no longer have that connection with God or that deep source of peace. How would you approach that from your experience and study? Wow. Well, first thing I'd say is uh, God's pretty powerful. I don't think it depends on your memory or my memory for to be able to do what he needs to do. Um, uh, and mm. I think that, that for me, that's the, the key thing is that in a situation like that, we tend to think, oh, my memory is going, so therefore I'm going to lose my contact with God, so therefore I'm going to, I don't know, some people even say, I'm going to lose my salvation as if God disappears when you forget things. Um Whereas in reality, it's always about what God does. And Paul talks very clearly about uh, we are who we are in Christ, right? And, and more than that, uh, uh, in Colossians, he talks about that our true self is hidden in Christ. Mm. So there is a, a sense in which none of us know who we are. Like, and even the little bit that we know who we are is, is kind of fragile sometimes. You know, mm. before, before we started recording, we are talking about my... Uh, conversion mm. uh, and so for 20 odd years of my life I thought I was a pretty decent person living a pretty decent life and then suddenly I discover I'm a horrible sinner in, in mm. fear of <laughs> condemnation in other words everything I remembered and knew about myself was wrong yeah mm. so memory is not only fragile but it's also false because of the way it does so yeah. to build your whole sense of who you are and more than that your relationship with God on your neurology on your memory is just a mistake but mm. if we remember that irrespective of what happens with us, God never abandons us, Paul's mm. pretty clear yeah, on that, yeah, yeah. and God never forgets us, then, yeah, it will be difficult when we move into that space of forgetfulness, but we can do that with hope. And those around us can do that with hope. doesn't make it less less painful and doesn't make it less a mode of suffering, yeah. but there is hope in the midst of that suffering mm. if we remember whose we are. That's really good. Yeah, and I'd, <clears throat> I'd just add... 
build on that point that God is very powerful, you know, and we can grab onto a special precious memory with God, but he does, he will do again, and he is doing always, you know, so he's able to be with. Um, so it's not a once-in-a-moment, once-in-a-lifetime moment. So that leads me, if it's okay with you, Lou, that leads me on to something, Rach, my wife, a social work practitioner, and someone who has had experience of deliverance ministry, um, this is for those listeners who are not sure what that is. That's where you might pray for someone, and a particular uh, a, a, a moment of freedom will come over them. Perhaps uh, a, an opinion that spoke over them when they were young, and, and you can pray for them. And God wants to remove that over them, and it's you know it brings them into a new level of freedom as an adult. Everything from that to all the way, kind of like deep difficulties with the mind. So the question from Rach is just that was to give you a bit of context. Um, is how can we be sensitive? So say someone has psychosis, you might not have the answer to this, but it'd be good to hear your thoughts. Um, how do we act with integrity and sensitivity, introducing a new thought or, you know, a new voice into the mix, which is God's? And we have we have been praying for someone even in this last year in that realm um, and talking about leaning into scripture and trying to just check the voices. But would you have any wisdom and thoughts, especially because you have been a practitioner and now you're coming through to you know, search the theology on it. Have you got any wisdom or thoughts to any church leader, really, who finds himself in that situation? They want to pray. They don't know where to pray. Deliverance or... Ju- you, how do they go? And I suppose, how do they not make a mistake from the very start of that journey? Well, I think uh, the key is not to try and do it yourself. Yeah. I think you need to, particularly something uh, as difficult and complex as psychosis, you yeah. need to have mental health professionals to work in right. conjunction with you. Um, and preferably mental health professionals who understand uh, your position as a pastor, mm. right, rather than just simply mental health professionals that, that see that as separate. So ideally, to be able to collaborate with somebody who recognises the kind of uh, clinical dimensions of this phenomenon, but at the same time recognises the importance of a spiritual dimension in the way that you're describing, I think mm. that's 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 fundamentally important. Mm. I think pastors should do that before they hit a crisis rather than after. So I okay. think it's something you should build into your a relationship. You should build into your ministry, oh, yeah. very good. Yeah, uh, yeah. so that when uh, difficult situations arise, you have that as a as a resource. Mm. But the second thing I would say is that uh, in relation to psychosis, certainly the, the people I've spoken to recently as well, mm. um, very often people do have a, a kind of enhanced spirituality or a yeah. sense of religiosity and that. Like, and the temptation is to say, well, it's just a psychosis. Um, but all, all spiritual experience is spiritual experience. Okay. All religious experience, it's, it's, it doesn't become unreal because you're going through a psychotic experience. Mm. But it might not be, might be possible to do it at that moment. So if you're in a really acute phase of a, of a psychosis, that's not the best time to begin to engage in, in ways that could actually be confusing or difficult in that way. Yeah. After the fact is a good time. So when somebody is yeah. past that acute phase, if they have, for example, had a really strong spiritual experience, um, uh, which feels really real at that time, and then afterwards it may not feel really real. That's the time when you, you have that conversation. Yeah. So you can find that which is kind of really real and helpful that continues after the acute episode and you can nurture that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what your relationship does. But in the, in the midst of, of acute situations, it's, 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 I think you're better to leave that to professionals to deal with. Yeah, that's and that's good. And you can, 
you know, some churches do think, well, we've got responsibility for this as well, and we know the one who can do all of this stuff. But as a as a pastor, I'm, you know, I'll pray for someone with a broken leg. But um, you know, I'm going to take yeah, them to A and E. You know, and so lung cancer. You, you've been, been just <laughs> yeah. So same thing um, with uh, mental health. It um, is the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm great. Good. Amazing. Do you have any more questions from a friend? Or are we are we done with the questions from a friend segment? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's become a segment. Yeah, no, no, we're good. We're good. That, that's brilliant. We've covered um, we've covered a lot of it. I did. I have. I mean, I too have done a tiny bit of research. Um, oh. Out of the two of us, Luke can read, um, and I use YouTube. Um, oh yes. But I did. I saw a really interesting part about. Did, was, did you call it three mile an hour? Oh yes, God. yes. It was about the idea of working with people with dementia and just slowing down and being in the moment. Would you care to just um, share a little bit about that? Yes, it's, a, it's a, a, um, a Japanese theologian called Kasuka Kiyama. Right. And he got this idea of, of the three mile an hour goal. And it runs something like this. So Jesus, um, who is God, no, let me look back. The average speed that a human being walks at is three miles per hour. Yeah. Jesus, who is God, walks at three miles per hour. Jesus, who is God, who is love, walks at three miles per hour. Okay. So love has a speed and it's slow. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, he, he talks about, you know, 40 years in the wilderness is God's basic template for time. <laughs> it's a long time. <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah. So, but the, the point he's making is, you know, the only way that you can love somebody is to slow down and take wow. time. And obviously, if you're with somebody who's advanced dementia or somebody with profound intellectual disability, the only way that you can relate well is to slow down and take time mm. for the things that the world considers to be trivial, as Stanley Herobas once put it. Mm. That's so profound. That's beautiful, in fact. Amazing. Well, do you have any plans for what's next for you, John? What are you working on at the moment? I'm going to become a rock and roll star. Oh, yeah, we were talked about that. Is yeah. one of your friends a yeah. rock and roll star? No, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I'll become next. I, I don't know, but I, I, I'm a musician, and I've started to get back into music. So, um, and so I'm just finishing off an album, man. Oh, yeah. Which is called, uh, it's called uh, Beautiful Songs About Difficult Things. Oh, very cool. And it's, uh, in some senses, I'm, I'm trying to put the kind of theological ideas around disability, dementia, and so on and so forth, that I've worked on over the years into music. That's incredible. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to across to Vancouver next week to do some stuff, and I hope to be able to finish it. So maybe come next year, it'll be, it'll be there. And then... Uh, then I'll have to charge you lots and lots of money for this. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got there just in time. <laughs> I'll sell you one of my world, world tour T-shirts as well. That'd be great. What kind of uh, what kind of music? <laughs> what kind of music? Well, you asked me that earlier on. I, did. I, I don't know what it is. It's kind of uh, folk rocky kind of thing, gotcha. probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Although I think I said something else to you, so obviously yeah, we no were idea. on soft rock earlier. Soft it's soft rock. folk rock, folks. I, I think it's probably folk rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, you're going to be shot down here in the in the comments. I'm sure. No bagpipes. You're not. You're leaving that traditional instrument uh, out. <laughs> Couldn't make them, you couldn't squeeze them Actually, in. Actually, I have a track of bath plates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's put me in my place. That's good. That's good. Really taking the folk side of that seriously. That's excellent. <laughs> that's brilliant. So, oh, yeah. 
we definitely need details from you of where people can find that when it's available to put in our show notes. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Do you you have an Instagram? Do you have a Twitter? Do you have a Facebook? I mean, I had a little look on Instagram. I have a Facebook and I have a Twitter account. I don't have an Instagram account for, for no particular reason. We can catch you on there. That that be in the show notes, Lou? They'll be in the show notes. We'll put things in the show notes. Very good. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, in the meantime, thank you for joining us. It's been fascinating and insightful and fun. Ah, it's been fun. <laughs> I'm not going to get past that blue smurf on the roof, though. I think it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem. The enduring image of the day. <laughs> yeah, well, when you are a famous musician, exactly. that snippet comes back to haunt you. It'll be all over. <laughs> and you're cancelled before it started. <laughs> Poor old Smurfs. You can see it now on the stage. You've just got a little Smurf on a roof oh, tile, just waiting yes. to slide down into the audience. Exactly. The first video. It's going to be brilliant. <laughs> It's been a pleasure, Jim. Thanks so much. Uh, for being no, with thank us. you for the invitation. It's been nice to meet you both. Bless Wonderful. You. Thanks for joining us. Do have a look at John's books or catch up on his Science and Faith in the Second City talk. The link is in the show notes. We'll be back next month, so don't forget to follow us on your podcast app so you get a notification. And you could always rate and review us too. Follow us on Instagram at Now There's a Thought, which looks exactly like Now Teresa Thought, but that's just a happy coincidence. If your name is Teresa and you'd like to share your thoughts on the podcast and help us live up to our Instagram handle, please get in touch. You can message us on Instagram at Now There's a Thought or email Now There's a Thought at c3gallery.church. And those contact details are also good if your name isn't Teresa. We'd love to hear from you too. Tell your friends if you enjoy the podcast, but not if you don't. That's no help. 